Welcome back to another episode of the Shifting Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and we are jumping around towns from the last two episodes from Miami and to much chillier uh, Washington, D.C. Um, apparently one day before a snowstorm, or perhaps 12 hours before a snowstorm, so I might be here longer than, than I expected, but hanging with uh, my friend Dave Delaplane of uh, Roofers Union here in Adams Morgan. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, it's, uh, it's an honor. It's been a while since I've seen you, Dave. Yeah. How, how you been? Been good. Uh, just just keeping along. Have a kid now, so life is definitely different. But uh, still still making time for craft beer, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I'm looking at this menu. So um, for our listeners out there that don't know what Roofers Union is um, or aren't familiar with the D.C. scene, which I, I've long said, you know, people need to not ignore what's happening in D.C. because I think it's one of the... Um, probably most interesting markets, growing markets, it's beyond growing. I mean, we got Michelin yeah. here now, right? Definitely, yep. But, um, you know, what's, what's Roofers all about here, man? What do you do here? Well, uh, so Adams Morgan, the little neighborhood that we're in within D.C. is um, is one that's been changing a lot. And our goal was to sort of, you know, when we started five years ago now, it was, it was about being part of that evolution of the neighborhood. Um, it's, it's an... Institutionally, there's a lot to Adams Morgan. It's been here forever. Uh, it has a lot of great history. A lot of great bands have come through here. Um, I think even the Beatles played played here way back when. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, that's pretty but, fucking uh, cool. But um, it's you know it, it was it was a neighborhood that, that needed to uh, catch up with some others. There wasn't a lot of uh, creativity to some of the concepts. Had some amazing dive bars that that. Were, you know, I, I find beloved and, and everything, but you don't need an entire neighborhood of, of dive bars. Sure, right. Yeah. I don't think it's I don't think they're considered dive bars once it's the whole neighborhood well, anymore. And, <laughs> and, and and dive bar to me isn't necessarily, I mean, dive bars inherently are cheap, but cheap bars Right. Yeah. All dive bars are cheap, not all cheap bars are dive bars. But this and, is like a legendary like I'm not legendary, but like a just a, a an amazing beer list. I've been here you you I have to say, the last time I was here you treated me like royalty, which was, was, I, was I vaguely remember that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I yeah. think it was four and a half. I, I remember having breakfast on the way leaving here. I was, <laughs> I, I'm like, how did this happen? I, my like, wife was not too happy with me. Yeah, I'm sure she was. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. we literally we had yeah. the Uber driver like take us through the drive through at McDonald's at six thirty in the morning. Yeah. So, yeah, and then I woke up. I'm like, what the hell time is it? It's eleven <laughs> o'clock. I slept so late. I'm like, oh yeah. no, we just went to bed well, four hours ago. Sleep, yeah. um, but you've got an insane beer list, and you made a comment um, as we just sat down about. Um, you know, putting on a 2019 vintage of a beer and saying, well, but it's aged because if it's not, what's the fun in that? But that's one of the things that I, I associate with you as a person. I mean, you're, you're like a badass at being able to choose these vintages, knowing exactly how long to age them, where to age them, like all these cool things. Yep. It's, uh, you know, to, to a certain extent, it's, it's trial by, trial by error, trial by fire, but, uh, you kind of learn what works and, and. My rule of thumb when age, I mean, first of all, anyone that says you shouldn't age beer, don't listen to them. Uh, age the right beers, don't age all beers. But the, when you're aging, when you're aging beer, it, it's similar to aging bottles of beer, but maybe in terms of kegs, uh, but give it an extra six months, give it an extra year usually, uh, because it, it ages a little bit slower in the keg. So um, that's something I've known you to be doing for a long time, and we've done that, implemented that a long time. Hell, even when I started my career, 
uh, in restaurants in the 90s. You know, the guy we were working with, we were cellaring beers for years, um, yeah. always looking forward. And it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty um, rare to find that at the time. And it's, it's still relatively rare to find that. And when, we, when I talk to people or we talk to people and tell them, you know, this is this vintage, like, oh, doesn't beer go bad? So when people are at home, or they're running a restaurant, they're thinking about cellaring beer. Like, what, what do you need to look for to be able to determine whether or not it's cellarable? Because not everything is going to get better. Absolutely. So in general, you want to cellar higher gravity beers. In general, you want to cellar more malt dominant beers, but also the kind of style that sometimes can surprise you even with lower alcohol and lower malt is sour beers. Just because that beer is often still Evolving, uh, you know, it's it's not fermenting by the time it's in the keg, but it's it's definitely still still evolving. The acidity maybe is really really intense initially, and you give it two years, and the acidity softens. It's still there, but these other complexities of you know whatever such fruit was in there uh, start to come out, and sometimes you get say it was cherries with stems. The tannins start to come out of the beer. Um, it can be a lot of fun. With all these things going on around you, it's got to be hard <laughs> making your job more difficult because, uh, how old are you now, Dave? I am 32. You just, are you 32 already? 32, I'm not, but uh, yeah. I mean, when you started your career, and well, all, well, all of us did, you know, um, we have since witnessed this craft beer explosion Absolutely. where people are now paying more attention to, like this is intended to be cellared. You know, Stone did their vertical epics. They, uh, there was the brewery line, the Christmas beers they did and all that. So, like, you're seeing a lot more of it. I mean, a, <laughs> this is a pretty prolific beer list you've got here, and you've got, like, cool, fun stuff that you don't even put on the menu. Yeah, definitely. There's there's stuff in uh, every corner of this restaurant is cellaring something, it, it would seem. So, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's it, whenever, whenever a beer comes along, if it's something that I can get my hands on, too, then I often will consider... Putting, putting one on draft and putting one down to just to kind of see, see how it evolves and, and play the game. And then once I have done that once, so like what happened, one of the, one beer that I would normally tell you never to, to age would be an Imperial IPA. With that said, Dogfish Head 120 Minute evolves beautifully. Uh, so it, what happens though, you know, like when you're thinking it evolves, like what, we're, we're, so, yeah, that's a good we question. All, I so, think that's a good beer as a, like a lot of our listeners have had that. Absolutely. So, so if you've had 120 minute, you'll say either you really liked it because it was the most intense thing you'd ever tasted, or you really didn't like it because it was, was the most intense thing you've ever tasted. Right. A ton of hops, ton of alcohol, um, just very intense. But with time, it, it again, it kind of softens around the edges. So the intense hops to it really become a little bit more delicate. They're still there. Uh, most, most hoppy beers, what's going to happen is the hops will drop out and you're just going to have a, an unbalanced beer that doesn't, doesn't have that contrast to it that it needs. But in the case of 120 minute, which has a lot of malt on the backbone, that starts to come out a little bit more. So you get more of those kind of caramel and toffee notes still with this bitter resiny note to it, uh, but not as over, overwhelmingly powerful as it is when you have it fresh. And so actually for our one year anniversary, we tapped a three year keg that I bought through our sister restaurant and had sat on for a while and didn't really know what to expect, but was, was excited for it. And it was so wonderful. So like that year I bought 
two more kegs, and we have <laughs> one that we just tapped for a five, and one that I'm going to sit on maybe till our ten. We'll see. Uh, I have a bottle that I'm running parallel with, so I'll open that in a in a year or two and kind of see if it's still holding up. Then I'll I might try to go till ten for that uh, that other keg of 2015. You said you just passed the five year anniversary here. Yep. Um, you didn't just tap up like a few kegs though of vintage. You like went went all out. So so yeah. I mean the other thing too is when you're deciding when your anniversary is it can be difficult because as a restaurant, you do soft openings. Right, you know, exactly. What's the date you're gonna pan really it to? It's really a week of opening when you're opening. So I decided let's celebrate the whole week. So we set a, a, a vintage beer lineup starting with a 2013, uh, the year that we were still in planning stages. Um, I had an English barley wine from a local brewery here that just does self-distribution called Franklin's. And we tapped that uh, on Monday. On Tuesday, we tapped the 2014 Sierra Nevada Bigfoot barley wine that you have there. Uh, it's an Amer American barley wine, so a little bit more hot presence. And then we had tapped the 2015. Yeah, I love that you, and I mentioned this when you poured this glass, that you're like still giving love to Sierra Nevada. Because Absolutely. it's, I mean, there's so many beer drinkers out there that were converted to like good beer I mean, what, through it. What taught all of us to love Hoppy beers, probably Sierra Nevada Pale It's that or Dr. Shed 60 Minutes. Yeah, I had a whole like, shelf of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, back when we thought that was a cool thing Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, it uh, that's, if, you, if you're going to scoff at those guys, something's wrong because they're, they're what's created this avenue to get us to where we are. And, and actually, when you look at some of the stuff they're doing, they're not, they're still evolving. Uh, we've, we've done some events with Sierra Nevada, in, in fact, where they've, brought out beers that I had no idea they made that just blew me away. Um, we had a, a wheat wine they did with lemon. It was 11% alcohol and it drank like it was 5%. It was the smoothest, most dangerous beer you'd ever have. <laughs> it did not, oh my gosh, it was amazing. It was, it was phenomenal, yeah. So continuing on after you you tapped the Sierra Nevada Bigfoot yes. um, on your anniversary, I'm curious as to what the how you finished out the rest of the week. So yeah, so Wednesday was 2015 with a 120 minute from Dogfish Head. Thursday was a Westbrook Grand Mare um, from 2016, and that was a cognac barrel aged strong ale. Unfortunately, that one's already kicked, so I can't share that with you. But it was phenomenal. <laughs> the cognac barrel on it really came through. Uh, Friday's was a 2017 Avery Amasicha, which is a sour ale aged in Cabernet Sauvignon barrels from Larkmead and Chateau Montalena, because why not? Um, <laughs> right. And it was, it had that astringent acidity that was phenomenal, but still with the, the com complexity of the red wine really coming through, it was, it was, uh, it was really delicious. That was one of the first to kick. And then we had, uh, just for all the you know, the, the cult followers out there, we put on Perennial Abraxas uh, from 2018 for Saturday's beer. And then 2019, as we mentioned, I wanted something that had a little bit of age, but still could represent the year 2019. So we tapped the Crooked Run, uh, they're out of Northern Virginia, a rum barrel aged version of their Raspberry Empress that they do except they model after a zombie cocktail. It's so, it's, so awesome too, yeah. man. I've got a glass it's in here. It's got grenadine and orange peel and pineapple in it, and it still has that acidity, but with a, you know, a lot of complexity to it. And the rum barrel really adds a nice, nice touch to it. Man, I, you know, one thing that's always impressed me a lot about your beer knowledge is your um, ability to recall all of it. You know, like that's always been my problem with a lot of it. Um, it's, 
especially apparent after the last few episodes. <laughs> if it weren't apparent prior, uh, I'm a big <laughs> room geek, but I always have to refer back to my notes. Like, I can never remember. I can't say never, but I often forget, you know, uh, when I've tried a particular vintage or something, and I have to refer back to it. And I'm always really surprised about the recall. Yeah, you know, it's weird, because it's not a skill I have for pretty much anything else. It really <laughs> only applies to beer. Uh, you know, there's a couple of wines. For me, it's, it's all about the experience. And so it's not so much that I remember the exact beers. I sort of remember that moment in which I, I tried it. Um, I, you know, like one of the memories that jumps out at me right now is, is there's this beer from New Holland, out of Holland, Michigan, that they don't even make anymore, uh, called the Charcuterie Rye, that honestly is kind of gross when it's young. It's, <laughs> it's, it was, it's a rye doppelbock that was so smoky. It was designed to be paired with charcuterie and was cool, but like you really, it was hard to drink. And so we did a beer dinner with them and I thought it was gonna be cool, but like there were some other vintage beers that we were having for the dinner too from them that I was really excited about, including a like 13 year old wheat wine from them. And sure enough, it was a charcuterie ride that just stole the show because it turns out it's smoked with cherry wood. And so what happened with it is you got these lovely notes of the cherry wood starting to come through. And it wasn't just smoke to be smoked, but it was it, was, it added a really nice complexity, like a you know like a like an older scotch that still has a bit of that peatiness, but isn't as intense. And just you get all those layers of, of complexity to it. So it's important to note that we're sitting here in your in your place, um, but it's not necessarily a bar. I mean, you've got full menu, um, and then there's a sister restaurant as well below us, right? Uh, yeah, so we have we actually have three floors. So there's the okay. rooftop bar um, that is heated, so we keep it's it open. It's getting ready to snow. Oh, really? Yeah. It is it, open? We keep it heated, uh, <laughs> heated and open <laughs> in, the, in the winter, um, but only on the weekends. And gotcha. then in the summer, okay. it's, you know, 20, well, not 24-7, but seven days <laughs> a week. Um, very busy up there. But we we certainly have a lot of fun up there, while the second floor is designed to be more that that beer geeky okay. uh, vibe, along with a really great menu that our executive chef Jen Flynn puts together. And we design it to be casual but still very integrity driven, because that was kind of what we wanted to bring to the neighborhood. We didn't want to scare anybody off by doing anything pretentious or, or you know too complicated, and instead wanted to to bring what they were used to, but to to be making it all in house. So. You know, we we grind grind our own meat for the sausages. We you know we stuff our own sausages. We make our own burgers, all that stuff, and it it really comes through. I think in the product. I had a friend who who was in here with his with his little kids the other day, and they were like they couldn't stop talking about how all they wanted to do was eat the kids' chicken tenders. And I was like, well, yeah, it's because we take the chicken thigh and we cut it into strips. And it's like, you know, it's not hard to do something like that. Why not Why not take the extra time to do it? Do it with a quality product rather than just drop something out of the freezer into the into the fryer and, and cook that and have it taste like every other restaurant they ever go to. Yeah, it definitely tastes like, or it shows that the, you know, that kind of the normal food associated with sitting and drinking beer can be elevated along with, with the vintage beers. And I, I like how you separated up the menu as well because we're constantly um, talking about, you know, when it comes to pairing, not everybody really wants to ask somebody like yourself. I mean, is that something that you run across, that people just are a little intimidated to even ask you about these things? But you've got to split up well on the menu so that they don't even necessarily have to. Absolutely. Um, you know, my it's my hope that anybody will always ask because that's what I get joy out of is, is helping them pick out that, that the right beer for them. But I also want to make it easy and approachable so that 
if they are just looking for a nice lager, they can find it, and they're not going to accidentally order the sour beer that is right. going <laughs> to, you know, maybe warp their sense of sour beers, and then they'll never like a sour beer. When in fact, if they'd known they're getting a sour beer and gone into it with eyes wide open, they'd be like, okay, this is weird. Okay, I don't know how I feel about this. Okay, I'm starting to like it, and it grows on you, and it grows on you. Before you know it, you love sour beer. So. That's why I always like when you're like, you want a beer? How funky do you want it? Yeah, like absolutely. I always want to turn it all the way up, man. Yep, definitely. Like, um, I think the first time I had Lambic X was with you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I opened one of those. We have a beer club that's starting coming in here, and uh, we opened one up the other day, and it was, it was drinking really nice. It's so fucking yeah. delicious. But you've, your category is listed on the menu. It's real smart, and I'm starting to see a trend towards this, not only on beer menus, but wine lists as well, because it, it does make it a little less intimidating. And... I, we're always encouraging everybody on the show as well to like just ask, ask the psalm or ask the you know beer director, wine director, uh, general manager, you know what, if you are so curious as to like what might pair well with the food, but not everybody really cares Absolutely. about what pairs well. But this works well, right? Because you got Caspor, you you got kind of light and refreshing, citrus, citrusy and fruity and spicy and tart, and I like the weirdly awesome and incredibly complex category. Absolutely, that's definitely my favorite category. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, what do you see as your kind of standard guests coming in? Are they are they the beer geeks, or are they kind of people just stumbling you know, we, into an incredible, amazing beer bar? On the weekends, we're pretty high volume, so it can be it can be a lot of everything. Uh, during the week, we're getting more neighbors and 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 regulars, and and we're. Uh, <laughs> People who are seeking us out for our beer list and and coming in to try that new that new crazy beer that we have, um, and then we also do on Tuesdays. So so on Tuesdays we do Geek Night. Okay. And my mindset for that is well, first what we offer is we do half price bottles. So our entire bottle beer list is half price. Is today Tuesday? Today is Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. I later. think I will be seeing um, you later. <laughs> but but so what it is for me is it, it's it's like. Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. I, I figure the more bo the more geeky bottles I put on there, I buy everything with the intention that it'll only be better a year from now. So that I'm not, you know, we, we have one IPA on the entire out of the hundred bottles that we have on the bottle list, and and the idea is I don't want anything to 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 not be delicious, you know, for someone to order it, and I'd rather be able to sell everything before I have to take it off the menu. So I just keep buying stuff that will age really nicely and continue to evolve. We don't get as many people out for our, for our bottle night or, or for buying bottles of beer in general because you know we just see a lot of draft volume. Sure. But I'm going to keep buying those bottles until until uh, that changes because eventually it'll have to, right? Well, that's a pretty smart way to go about it, though. <laughs> I guess if you keep buying stuff that's not that's only going to get better. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely want to keep being able to buy beer bottles of beer. So if I'm going to do that, I I got to be smart about it and not just. I mean, one of the things that that. You know, my many visits to, to, to D.C., and again, I've, I've sung the praises of the city a lot, is you got a really cool pocket of, like, beer geekdom Absolutely. here. Absolutely. You know, um, you've got several really deep beer bars Absolutely. that I've been to with you. I mean, what, what else is in the well, city? You've well, got... so you have Church Key, uh, which is, oh, Church Key, which right, is right. from Greg Engert. And, any, and there's a number of other spots that, that he runs the beer program for as well. And, gosh, every single one of them is phenomenal. He... Is the the pioneer for beer? I mean, he continues to push the limits. He's you know they're now bringing in they're now basically importing stuff themselves and 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 just doing crazy things that that you wouldn't think would be possible uh, without a brain like his. And and he finds a way to do it. And and for the rest of us, you know, we kind of get to just 
ride the curtails <laughs> to an extent and, and get to be part of this amazing city that continues to Well, to I was going to say, but that's like it's carved out a niche for the city. Like, Absolutely. you know, once you get known for a few places like that, because I remember hearing about Church Key like well before I had come to, you know, I can't say came to DC for the first time before I like sought out a beer bar. Like yeah. all my beer gig friends Absolutely. were like, you got to go check this out. And you know, like there's beer conferences that happen here now. And, yeah. and there's a lot of, there, there's momentum. And I think that's probably speaks a lot to the. Well, and, and what it's done is, you know, a lot of us who share that same passion, uh, well, I'm not going to say that any of us push the limits the way that he does. We all have sort of been able to figure out our own identities and, and figure out how, you know, what beer means to us and what we want our beer programs to be. And, and it's, you know, having, having something like that really lets you see what's possible out there and lets you realize there aren't a lot of limits on, on beer these days. And you can, you can really make a lot of things happen. So when you're like, if you were an average consumer and like, you know, you're in a shop, how the hell do you figure out what the hell to buy and what not to buy? Because oftentimes you've got to commit to a really large format bottle or, you know, six bottles of, of, of smaller and, and to make sure that you're getting kind of what you're looking for. Because right now there's so many, um, there's a lot of cross-pollination between styles. Absolutely. Like there's no clear delineations yeah. any longer. Yeah, you have your pastry sours that aren't sour. They're just <laughs> sweet, but with a little bit of acidity, so it's not as sweet. And then you have your, your milkshake IPAs that are just hard to describe at best. <laughs> um, you know, I think for me, and it's, it's kind of similar to what I do with the beer program here, is you, you sort of, there's, there's two mindsets. It's one is learn which breweries to trust, but at the same time, anytime you see a new brewery, you want to you wanna test them out. Right, so it's not yeah. like you want to give everyone a fair shot. It's, it's when you, if you get disappointed by beer from a brewery a couple times in a row, you know, maybe, maybe wait a year until you get something from them again. Maybe they're, maybe they're working through some growing pains and they'll figure it out and maybe that's just not the right brewery for you. And that's kind of the same mindset I have, whether buying a six pack or whether um, buying a keg for the restaurant, it just is, which, which breweries do I respect? Because you don't get to sample most of the stuff that you're That's in. why I was asking, right? Like, because even on our end, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, when we're buying wines for the restaurant, they'll bring in the you wines for us to taste, taste until yeah. you hit a certain price point at yeah. which they say, trust us, it's yeah. good. We're not opening a bottle of Grand yeah. Cru for you to taste. But with a beer, I mean, and, you, and you know. Sometimes you get to sample, but, but for the most part, you know, the, especially the more limited stuff, it's coming in in keg only. They're not bringing right. bottles and, and or cans in as well. So... There's no opportunity for the reps to taste it on on you, and so you look at the style and you say, "Okay, this is a sour beer from such and such brewery. They've earned my respect with their sours. They do every they do a really good job with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it, and I'm just gonna gonna hope for the best. And uh, and and usually it works out really nicely. Same thing, other breweries that aren't you know it doesn't have to be sour. It can be some breweries just do like traditional German styles really well, and you're like. Normally, I wouldn't want to get such and such, you know, you know, Keller Keller Rice or something like that, or some just kind of ordinary lager, ordinary sounding lager. You're not going to want to to get that from every brewery, but there's some breweries that just do everything so traditionally sound, and you're like, okay, this is going to be really good from these guys. I got to I got to go for it. It'll be nice. It'll help me expand expand people's horizons in a in a more almost muted fashion, where you know it doesn't have to be the craziest flavor to be something you can learn something new. So I met you through rum Absolutely. Um, several years ago, but would, uh, you were already- It was a great trip. It was a good trip. We, uh, 
We actually what talked about it a the couple. Heart, of, the heartburn on it was not so great for me. Oh man, was it was uh, it was a lot. Yeah. So Dave was uh, part of the aforementioned uh, Martinique trip. We talked about it a couple episodes ago um, when we had Kate Perry on. Uh, when her and Jim, I think, smuggled back twenty four bottles yes. from Martinique. They brought an extra suitcases. Uh, yeah, for that. yeah, that's right. They did. Duffel bag. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, God, you're only just now in your, in your early thirties. You know, at what age did you get into beer? Because it was a tough go, you know, even 10 years ago. Yeah. I remember know. our first, like, major production brewery, like, craft production brewery in Indianapolis. And we're a huge beer yeah. town now. Um, it opened, I think, in, well, it was a year after my first restaurant, so it went in 09. And yeah. then there was like three more open the following year, and I was like, oh, the market's saturated now. Like, yeah. anybody from here on out is screwed. <laughs> and I think there's like, Probably. Every year since then, we've had a minimum of 100 licenses out each year yeah. following yeah. that. Like, we've got at least four or five hundred breweries. I don't know. all it's... successful, but, right. but man, it, it keeps But how, I mean, how you started off in a, in, a, in a time where that wasn't the case. Yeah. Uh, I remember, so I was working as a server at a more wine-centric restaurant, Ripple, in Cleveland Park, which is uh, closed in 2017. But, um, and it was our sister restaurant before it closed. But... I would just go go to the local bottle shop there and bring a bring a fun bottle in that we'd all taste at the end of the shift. And eventually, uh, the general manager, who's now a very close friend of mine, says to me, "Hey, why don't you take over the beer program? You know, because it was it wasn't something that you know he was running the wine program and, and running the restaurant. So having someone that had a passion for it was good, and it, it it allowed me to kind of get my feet wet in a situation where I only had six draft lines." Only a couple, you know, maybe I'd, I'd, I'd work on the bottle list and, and there it had to be stuff to turn over a little bit more. So I'd probably have 20 bottles at a time uh, just to kind of run out the list. And so I mean, that's still a pretty substantial crafts. list. It was for... cool, but it like, but it, people were ordering wine there. I mean, it, it was, right, right, beer right. was very few and far between. And so, I mean, we'd crush a half barrel of IPA once every two weeks. And that was probably because staff was drinking, you know, a good <laughs> right. amount of that. And, and, and Everything else was, you know, six still in, in two weeks and stuff like that. Well, here, it crushed three half barrels in a week. You know, it just, it, it, it didn't, I didn't have a lot of buying power, so it definitely made me, not that I wouldn't have wanted this anyways, but it, it incentivized me to create relationships with breweries and, and with the folks that work at them. And that allowed me to really get to know them. And because and, you can, you can have buying power through the relationships you have or because you just sell a lot. And, right. and so for us there, it was, how can I get to know these guys, whether they're local or just, you know, by emailing such and such brewery. I mean, for one of them that was really big for me was Avery uh, out of Boulder in, in Colorado. And I just emailed them and they were good to me. So I was like, all right, we're, we're going to, because I want to get in some of that crazy geeky stuff they're making. And I said, that's what I want. And they're like, all right, just show us a little bit of love and we'll understand that you don't do the volume that others do and we'll make it happen. And that's something that's always always uh, kept with me. You know, I've always had a, had a true love for Avery for that reason. Yeah, you mentioned him earlier. I don't remember if we were on mic or not, but <laughs> yeah, that's uh, cool because I've always loved Avery as well. Absolutely. And you don't see it. I've been looking at your list, and there's there's some like big. Uh, I want to say big names, but I mean big names in craft that are I guess uh, well established names is what Absolutely. I'm trying to say. Yeah. That people often forget about, and I think that's um, a product of being there so early on that you just. You become immune to it, like we talked about Sierra Nevada. Like Absolutely. you're just immune to it. You've seen it for 30 years yeah. on the shelf, and so you're like, ah, oh, it's not the cool, hot, new thing anymore. But yeah. they're still doing cool stuff. Exactly. And, 
And Avery, I mean, was one of those for me as well. Avery, um, Brewery's been a lot around for a long while, but still continuing to expand and their, you know, people's horizon and doing crazy stuff. I think um, it's hard with the with the larger breweries to to remember that they do a lot of unique stuff. And I think I think the ones that are continuing to to expand and and test out new things and and, and I don't mean expand in terms of footprint. I mean expand in terms of what they're making and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you know, in the case of brewery, they said they were never going to do an IPA and they said they're never going to make a brewery out of this and they're never going to make an IPA in this brewery. So what they do, they open another brewery down the street <laughs> so that they can stick to their guns and still make an IPA because they finally decided, you know what, we want to make an IPA, but we want to have some fun with it and, and make it like we want to make it. And it doesn't have to be the IPA that everybody else is doing. Um, I, I think, I think the, with with the bigger breweries, they they really deserve our respect. And and to me, I mean, you'll look at my list. It's I love to work with small local craft. I try to keep the list about seventy five percent local. I just think it's important to remember that just because somebody's big doesn't mean that they don't make great beer. Now, when and, you say seventy five percent, are you talking about the bottle list as well? Um, the bottle list is. You know, I haven't. The bottle list is more designed based on like what comes along. So, like, gotcha. I actually okay. have. No, I was there, just like, there I was, was a three about or four year span where I bought every gold foil, like the really limited stuff that Avery put out. Uh, so, I have a, I have a lot of Avery stuff on <laughs> right. the bottle list. I, it's like an entire page worth. And I have seven or eight vintages of Bigfoot barley wine by the bottle as well. Um, but. But then I also try to work with, you know, especially with the bottle list, it allows me to bring in some cool Belgian stuff that maybe not as much, not as much of that's coming in in draft. To, mm, and, right, and if yeah. it is, you know, I'll have it on, I'll definitely pick it up, but it'll be gone in two weeks. But putting, bring something like that in by the bottle allows me to keep it on the list and, and, and give something, have something special for, for folks that come in um, that they haven't had before. My, my goal in general with the list is, is whether local, whether from afar, is to have what I like to call stump beers. So... You come in. I want you know. No matter how how much of a beer geek you are, I want I want there to be at least one or two options on that you haven't had before that you're going to enjoy. You know, testing the waters with. Do you guys do cocktails here at all? Absolutely. You do do cocktails. Yep. We even do a couple of beer cocktails. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I think I've seen that happening a lot more lately, especially now that we're seeing a push towards um, people the interest in um, kind of accommodating guests that want low ABV drinks. Um, yeah. In fact, I was just talking. Uh, with the guys down the street over at the Green Zone about yep. um, low alcohol or, or non-alcoholic drinks and kind of serving that demographic because a lot of times when I go out, I've got friends that don't really drink or want something kind of low proof. And I, I don't wrap my night up yeah. getting hammered as much as, yeah. I, you know, as, as people think that I do. <laughs> you know, I might have a tea punch at the end of the night, but <laughs> very often I'll have a glass of vermouth. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what kind of beer cocktails are you doing? Because I've, I find it trickier for myself to think about beer as an ingredient because it's a component. It's like vermouth right like you've yeah. got so much stuff that went into this one you know component yeah. so you're then you're at mixing four or five other things into it so so i think there's different levels of complexity with beer cocktails beer cocktails actually i find as much as i love to make them they're actually very difficult um yeah it's, real tricky the, 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 the most difficult thing for me is picking out is, is establishing the acidity that you need for a cocktail in a beer cocktail because your your ratios are all different. It often is going to require a lot more citrus than you'd expect. So you might think, okay, I'm going to put a quarter ounce of lemon juice in this and you're going to keep testing it out. And by the time you get to it, you're like a full ounce of lemon juice in there and you're like, what the heck? There's no way this is going to be. And then you taste it. It's like, it's got this balance to it. Maybe not a full ounce, but 
but you're gonna put on a lot more than, than you expect to. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say if you wanna get into making beer cocktails, a great place to start would be Stiegel Rattler. Take Stiegel Rattler and just add a spirit of your choice to it and see how it does. I know people that swear by it with Mezcal, swear by it with rye whiskey. For me, it's all about Campari. To me, Stiegel Rattler is a little bit too sweet for my taste. Uh, so that's actually one of our beer cocktails that's been on since we opened. We just call it Tear the Roof Off, and it's, it's Siegel Rattler with about an ounce and a half of Campari in there. And it totally takes the edge off, off the Rattler. You almost get more of a grapefruit component to it just because of the nature of the, the, the Campari, the, the flavor profile of it, brings out the bitterness of the grapefruit and the Rattler, and you don't get as much sweetness. And I think, I think that's a great place to kind of start if you're wanting to get your feet wet. And then from there, it's, it's figuring out how, how do you incorporate citrus or acidity for that matter? It doesn't have to be citrus, obviously, but how are you gonna get the acidity that you need to create that balance in your cocktail? Yeah, and, and the weight obviously can throw everything off, and it's, yeah. it's been a trick. You do cocktails here as well. I mean, again, we already mentioned that we were hung out with Martinique drinking rum, like that's. Yep. Uh, are you, how, did it do it for you? Like I know when we talked, you were definitely the beer guy, but are, are you more yeah. of a rum guy now? I mean, I, <laughs> like, I, I have to I, bring I, it back yeah, around, you know? So yeah, I, I still have a huge love for agriculture, especially. I, you know, it's weird. I'm not a huge rum, rum guy, but man, do I love to sip, sip on a, a nice agricultural rum. And to be honest, I usually like to sip on the younger stuff. If they're, if they're well-made, I like the vegetal notes of that. And I, especially in a cocktail, I love how that can come through. Um, having the younger stuff with the more vegetal, you know, the cane juice com coming through. I, we have a nice array of, of rums. I'm not gonna say we move them very sure, fast. Sure, yeah, yeah, of uh, course. But, but they're there for when I wanna sip on them or, or some, the, right, the right guest comes in. Have you, like found a good, have you found a good marriage of rum and beer and any cocktails? You know, I'm feeling inspired right now. I will have to back <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe I'll name it after you. We will, we, oh yeah, please do. We'll, or we'll name it the ship trick. We'll, we'll name it after your podcast. Yeah, well, there might be another one in D.C. with a very similar name, so we don't we'll, want we'll we'll to get sure the wrong credit. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll, 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 we'll be sure to be clear, right? So, I mean, you're like 32, right? 32? Yep. So you've got time. I mean, do you have aspirations to brew your own, or you want? are you kind of satisfied being the curator? I, I really enjoy being a curator. I think, uh, you know, it would be lovely to... to do you homebrew? I... I don't. I don't really have time for it. Right, that's um, I've, true. Yeah, <laughs> I've made I've made one batch of beer in my in my life, and it came out all right. It was a, like a double style. It was um, it was fun. It was it was interesting. But you know, there's so much. I have so much at my fingertips. Like, and nothing I make is going to come remotely close to that. Like, I'd I'd feel like compelled to drink it because it's there. Right. And I'd be drinking beer that's not nearly as good as what I That was my issue. I always have. I, I, I gave it yeah. a shot when I was in yeah. my twenties and yeah. I never really yeah. accomplished anything successful and I didn't have the patience to get good at it. Absolutely. Like I I don't know, it'd be my aspirations go more within kind of kind of following in your footsteps or something like that, where I'd love to to own my own restaurant someday and let me and, just dissuade you from yeah. that right now <laughs> <laughs> and make all those mistakes right. and, and everything but that would be lovely i don't know that that brewing beer is in my future anytime soon. yeah no that's cool like yeah. i mean i always i have find a kid at home it, that my wife got me but i you know then we had a i mean that was long before we had a kid but there's is always, Jillian a big beer drinker she, she'll enjoy a good beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, i always my one of my favorite stories to tell our guests is that for the longest time she didn't love sour beers and 
she was always brave enough to try it whenever I get one. And she'd be like, yeah, it's just not for me. And then we were at this beer garden uh, in Brooklyn, New York, called Radagast. Phenomenal, if, you, if you're up there. Um, and I got one. She tried it. Didn't like it. And then my cousin joined us a couple minutes later, and it's like, oh, it tastes like kombucha beer. And my wife, Jillian, she said she needs to taste it again. And so she tasted it. It's like, oh, my God, I love this. So, like, I love to try to convince guests that even though they don't think they love sours, they may come around. And it's so much about having the right kind of flavor expectation for it because otherwise it's like hoppy beers at first. It's going to catch you off guard and you're going to be like, this is gross. But once your palate knows what to expect, it can, it can be phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it is definitely, I, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as like expectations, you know. Um, but I'm with you as well as, as far as the curating. I think that's a little bit more fun. Um, part of the job. I mean, Absolutely. as much as I can can yeah. dissuade you from ever being yeah. an owner, unless yeah. you want. But the the fun part of that is, you know, like putting together a fun team and putting together the Absolutely. list and like, yeah, yeah, it's fun for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, but it, I mean, you know, to do a space as beautiful as this is is a hell of a lot of work, and and it's I could see how this would be a, a fun place to come to work every every day. Definitely. You've Definitely. been here for a long time now. Yeah. Yeah. We. I mean, we. And you were at the sister restaurant prior, so I mean, yes. like all in. So, How long have you been with, with the company? These, with these owners, I've been with uh, Kurt and Roger. I've been working with them for, I think, I'm eight, eight and a half years. Wow, like that. man! Yeah, that's practically unheard that's of. A long yeah, I mean, in restaurant years, that's all the offers are going to start flooding years, right? in now, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, this guy's the most loyal person. Yeah. yeah. Um, so w what's next, man? Like, what what's the next? incarnation the evolution of what you're doing here at roofers because i mean there's so much going on and every time i come in here i feel like it's a completely new restaurant like yeah you know it's it's, it's i've been asking myself that a lot lately as well because you know i, I sort of created a five-year plan and, and here we are at five years and we've been able to accomplish a lot of that um to both establish ourselves as, as one of the phases of the neighborhood but also to establish our beer program but now, where do we go from here? And one of those is, our, you know, we have this, this wine bar downstairs that we have a lot of fun with. And the more that we can turn guests on to that and, and... And what's the name of the wine bar? Jug and Table. Okay. Yep. And, and so the more that we can establish Jug and Table as, as a, a wine bar in D.C., I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, up here, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to... I don't want to just... It's, it's sort of twofold. I want it to come to me naturally, but I also want to, I'm at a point now where I'm like really thinking about it and kind of figuring out what are the next steps? Where do we go from here? What's the, the 10 year plan now that we've made it to five? You know, mm -hmm. How do we continue to not only be successful, but be more successful every year? And, and you know, whether that's, you know, in whatever manner that may be, but how do we continue to evolve? How do, how do I continue to evolve? How do I continue to learn to, to, to lead? How do I, Learn to be a better leader. <laughs> right. Um, it's it's uh, yeah. I'm trying to figure figure out the next steps. I guess in that sense. And with those beer, uh, with a and beer I'm laying education. down a lot of beer as we go along. Well, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're laying yeah. down a, a lot of the beer, and with the beer education. I mean, what, what are you looking to at this point? Because you know, I there's only so many books you can read, and Absolutely. so many you know avenues of research before you finally get to like organic chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Which is which is above me. Um, you know, I, I think the more that we're able to establish, because I, I've, I would say we've been able to establish some wonderful relationships with, with a lot of the, lot of the breweries around here, and whether in DC or even into Maryland, Virginia, but the more that we're able to take staff on field trips to learn about beer and stuff like that, that's going to be something that's really exciting. Um, 
you know, we're figuring out where we're going to take them for, you know, our, our restaurant holiday trip, which is never around the holidays, but is instead in February or March. Um, figuring out which brewery to go tour and, and learn, you know, because we have some newer newer staff, and I want them to, I think that's important every year, just to take staff on those trips and, and, and learn about, about beer, but also about malts, about hops, stuff like that. Well, I know you've got to work this evening. I'm, I don't want to keep you all all day here, but oh, we you know. last time we sat here at your bar, like as I, know, we I mentioned, feel like I should have poured a lot more taste of beer. For we you we too. drank quite a lot last time, and I had an insane hangover the next morning. Sorry and uh, our mutual friend Rolf didn't give me time to like shake it off. I mean, he came and picked me up, and we immediately went over and, and drank Moscow for nine hours. Yeah. Um, which with Rolf is not uncommon, right? Yeah, no, no, that's pretty common. <laughs> but yeah. I, I always like to ask everybody, you know, at the end of each show, um, do you have any hangover cures that we, we should be plugged into? Because, of, I mean, if you're drinking beer all night, that's a little bit of a different hangover than if you're drinking rum all night. It, or it, That's definitely <laughs> yeah. true. The hangover is different. Um, I don't know. It's... Uh, no, they're just probably not. I mean, it, it out. Know, one, one, one is uh, have a kid to to wake up to to, uh-huh. to wake you up, and and you just it doesn't make the hangover go away in any way. It, <laughs> it just forces it you worse, to wake up, <laughs> but it, it really gets you moving, and, and you know, cause that's half the thing I think with a hangover is it's like until your blood gets moving, you're just you're gonna be a zombie, and it's the more that you can do to to get up and move around or to have to chase a little 18 month old around. You know, <sighs> it's, uh, it, it didn't make it any, cause that was, that was the first real hangover after our anniversary party, the first like super hangover I've had since our, uh, since we had him and, and yeah, it reminds you, uh, Reminds you how painful those can be, definitely. Give me some flashbacks. The more often I ask that question, I mean, we, you know, I, uh, I, I failed to ask it on a few episodes, but the, every time I ask it, I start just thinking like, Here's this like shared experience, right? Like we all know how miserable a hangover is, and we're all dumb enough to continue to yeah. keep doing it, right? And, and, and <laughs> at the know? tail end of that hangover, you're like, why the hell did I do that? Well, I'm not drinking that much again. And then you know the next day you're drinking that much. Again. Right, exactly. Day. Yeah. Or yeah, or you're just drinking to get rid of the hangover, and that's never good. <laughs> that never <ends> well <laughs> right. That, that that becomes alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Dave, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Um, I know you took time out of your day to do it, and, oh, and I'm definitely, I've got some bars to hit, apparently before the uh, fucking winter storm, and yeah, it's yeah. D.C., and so I've got some friends to go see, and um, I, I need some, some... Come back for some... Yeah, I was going to say, I need some more beer yeah. from you yeah, as yeah, well, definitely. so, I'm not gonna hey, that easy. thank yeah. you very much, man. Definitely. Cheers. Definitely.